This episode of The Interchange is made possible by Absa and Timu. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of The Interchange Season 2. I am your host, Busim Kumbuzi. In all regions of the world, some communities like the LGBT people and women suffer discrimination at home, at work, at school, and in all aspects of daily life. Custom, tradition, and cultural values or religious beliefs are usually brought up to justify that discrimination. In fact, in countless African countries, customary laws of some ethnic communities discriminate against women when it comes to property ownership and inheritance. In the U.S., traditional values was the rallying cry for opposition uh, when, uh, to women and LGBT's rights when people claimed that they undermined so-called family values. In Saudi Arabia, authorities cite cultural norms and religious teachings in denying women and girls the right to participate in sporting activities. But the international human rights law has called for all regions in the world, for all governments, to do away with customary and traditional practices that violate human rights. But unfortunately, such language, such declarations can seem out of touch in a reality where tradition is held front and center. In some parts of the world, there is nothing more reassuring, more innocuous than beliefs and practices of the past. In, of the past. in fact, for many people living in rural areas, traditional values can be interpreted in customary law and could be the only recourse to any form of justice or the only kind of access to rights. So it's complicated, but complicated topics are exactly the kind of topics that we love on the interchange. Today's motion is this House believes that the state has no right to ban or regulate certain cultural practices, even in instances where human rights are at stake. In studio with me to debate this topic, I have Mfumo Pamuza, a debater and debate coach, Atlehang Molefe. PPE student, debater, and activist, Belam Kabela, debater and intersectional feminist, and Nolutando Honono, an information system student and debater. We also have episode expert Tato Mukwena, our friend Tato, a friend of what 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 do the what do people usually call these friends of friend of the show? A friend of the show, an honors and politics student and a, a media commentator. Tato, so good to have you in studio today. Any opening thoughts on the topic, uh, specifically, you know, do you think values can be transformed or do you think we should outright reject them? Um, so I, I think it's important to start this debate on sort of what kind of modernity is, right? I think, and maybe, I mean, I'm not debating, but, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and sort of, so yeah, and modernity kind of happened as a, mo- as a movement of the Enlightenment, right, in the 16th to 18th century. Marked by reason, sort of secularism, sort of mm. moving away from God and traditions and the birth of the individual and the bureaucratic nation mm. state as we know it. So the state comes from sort of that movement of, of modernity and the break away from God as the, as the focal point of society, right? And part of that is the universalism that comes with that movement. That movement says whatever comes from reason and, and science is a universal truth, right? And so, for for mod, for modernists it would mm. be impossible to have values that are not universal do they change only those that are not universal can change so the mm. traditional values the modern the modernist the modernist will say they change and 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 the like right and so yeah i think yeah values well th- there's another sort of uh, mm. movement in the modernist movement mm. called the like um cultural relativism mm. right and that it says well truth 
reason and mm. values kind of are historically and contextually contingent. Yeah. They depend on where they come from. Mm. Right. And I struggle with the coherence of that, mm. but Mm. The debaters must have fun. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get into the debate, let's quickly go through the rules. We have four debaters, two on each side, debating in the British parliamentary format. The first two are proposition and the last two are opposition. In terms of speaking order, Prop 1 will speak first and Op 2 will speak last. Each debater has four minutes to speak. Between the first and the last minute, they may be interrupted for points of information by the opposing team. All right, debaters, are you keen to get into it? Awesome. Four more. Please, take it away. Okay. Um, thank you very much, Busi. For this to be a high-end debate, I think we need to not, uh, we need to assume that all cultural practices have some sort of harm and some sort of uh, violation to human rights. So instead, we should rather engage on government intervention on whether is this a form of justifiable uh, intervention and do we want to intervene and in mm. such instances around uh, religion, culture, and traditional practices. To frame this debate, then there are four or three core questions. Rather, firstly, is this a justifiable form of government intervention? Two, do we derive uh, do we derive desirable outcomes, if any, and that's a burden for opposition. But three, how do we how do we preserve and promote cultural identities and cultural sanctities around uh, uh, um, society? Right. Two points of context. Firstly, what are cultural um, uh, practices? Right. So cultural practices include uh, events and uh, activities that occur in regard with Mm. traditional and customary uh, practices uh, of a particular ethnic. Cultural group or or identity. These include things up. like Uktwala, Lobola, FGM, polygamy, and the list goes on and on. The second point of context is what is government intervention? And in, in this specific debate, we're speaking about banning and regulation. So these are regulatory activities taken by government in order to affect or interfere with decisions made by individuals, groups, or, or, or organizations. So the first issue that we have as proposition is the issue of the sanctity of cultural uh, of culture. Mm-hmm and the sanctity of cultural identity as a concept in society because we believe that a ban firstly is an erasure of that identity mm. a ban is a removal of the practice a ban is a, a, a is a stopping of those cultural practices regardless of whether mm-hmm. they are harmful or not not yet okay the second thing we say that regulation then again comes with interference that could then ruin the sanctity of mm. uh, uh, of that uh, of that cultural practice we are against this uh, information especially because um, state interventions such as banning regulation are usually last resort uh, uh, mechanisms and we believe that there are other alternatives that could be explored and which I'll speak to now but before I continue Do you believe a single practice defines an entire culture? No, it's a tenant of each culture so you can't, uh, so things like lobola things like uh, um, um, polygamy or practices inclusive or maybe initiation school is not the the main objective of the culture but it's a Mm. tenant. The same way as uh, believers Mm -hmm. of the Jehovah's Witness religion will tell you that don't do any Anything that is invasive to your body otherwise will ostracize you from the community. We say mm-hmm. the same framework still applies to cultural identities, especially within rural contexts and rural frameworks. We say there are alternatives that states could emphasize on and could explore, actually. The first uh, uh, alternative before even resulting to banning is to conscientize members of, uh, cultural, of that cultural community about the safety of those practices and also that members can make informed choices whether to continue or not continue with... Uh, um, uh, um, what's this with the practice? But secondly, they could aid re, uh, uh, with resources to ensure that all these practices happen in a in a in a safe and a in a manner that doesn't violate human rights, if any. So this is 
seen been done lately actually with introducing doctors at um what initiation mm. schools having experts to somewhat guide how the practice is done so as proposition we are completely against the erasure of cultures and as, especially the regulation because also another tenant and we think Atlahang will explore more uh, uh, on is that regulation also comes with uh, conditions that for you to do this you have to do that and we think that's a, a bit unfair when it comes to uh, cultural practices we say we do agree that they evolve and they change but we think that the change shouldn't be the erasure I mean erasure and mm. the change should be the removal of the practice um, uh, by, by the government so we are against government intervention thank you so much thank you so much for that speech and i'll welcome the opposition speaker one to rebut that case here here so i think firstly Mfuma is going to lie to us by telling us that there are alternatives to ways in which we can help communities aware themselves in terms of their cultural practices he talks about introducing doctors and so circumcision and so forth we think that is regulating the system yeah, yeah. we think that's exactly what governments try to do so we have a spectrum firstly in which government intervenes with soft methods like mm. introducing doctors and so forth talking to the communities about important issues and so forth and the last place that we ever reach is a ban and when we talk about a ban what then happens and why we get to that point and why it's such a serious thing but before that I think that Vuma doesn't talk about the larger conversation about um, traditional communities interacting with the state and what tends to happen there and why we think then cultural practices become a very important discussion to have firstly we think that cultural practices have controversial methods in which they use right and we think those cultural practices firstly always evolved we need to establish that culture mm-hmm. Always evolves, always changes according to the communities and, um, time frame that they are in, right? So we don't think that it's as stagnant as they're making it seem, that if you remove a single element from that, you destroy an entire yeah. culture, history, and people. We think they evolved. Yeah. Many cultures have dropped certain practices. For example, um, the Nguni, some of the Guri tribes have dropped circumcision from those traditions sure. and only leaving <laughs> the Costa people from practicing those kind of things. We don't think that if you remove a single practice, it completely goes away as a people, their mm. history, and who they are. But but moreover, we think right now the conversation in society isn't those controversial practices and what they mean to the people, but rather government invading and what traditional communities feel is only their territory, right? They want to protect and conserve their traditions and protect and conserve their statehood over their traditional communities and don't want the state interluding in that. And we think that's the conversation that's happening right now, not rather protecting the best interests of the people. And we mm. think then it's a particularly important for government to intervene. We think it's particularly important because the government has every right to protect every single person from every single community Mm. but particularly vulnerable actors like women, like the LGBTQ plus communities that don't have voices, that don't have Mm. structures to support them in these traditional communities. We think then the government has a specific and important role to play in assisting those individuals Mm. where we think they won't be assisted by their traditional communities. Mm. Right? And I'll take in a minute for more. We think that's the conversation that needs to happen when we talk about intervention. But moreover, we think controversial practices are something that need to be targeted. We think we can't simply say because for the sake of culture, we refuse to have intelligent conversations about why women don't have voices Mm, in traditional councils, why men 
who are parts of the LGBTQ plus community are mm. ostracized from their communities and why they're not protected by the people they want to take. Yes, Mfumo. I mean, it's good and well. You, you run a very nice liberal case, but the instances of which, Thank and you. I framed this case, this debate in a rural setting context, largely. Time so exactly, if we're talking like about a rural context, we're talking about a shut out communities. They're on their yeah. own and there's no one to speak for people who cannot get out of that community. We think the government then has an important mandate to protect those people and intervene in the most contr- um, cons- uh, conservative societies like rural areas, like closed-in religious areas, and we think that's when we want regulation, we want bans and so forth to protect people but moreover to protect people who don't have a voice, we don't have enough information about those kind of cultural practices and for a large part, I'd like closed in mm. by things like we should just conserve it because it's culture for the sake of culture and not evolve it for the sake of people still being able to protect their cultures but being protected and enjoying the values of those cultures without being violated mm. we think that's the bigger cool. conversation Time is to up. Be thank had. you so much Bella we're now going to welcome the second proposition speaker to close the proposition case here here a state is not a safe haven for a lot of individuals or actors that Bella is talking about in today's debate. You need mm. to understand how state has ratified the existence of traditional leaders or the traditional communities, meaning that they have the power to do absolutely anything that they want to do. Mm. Oftentimes what happens here is that that's why you find traditional leaders being part of a conversations about what tradition should be accepted or should be allowed in society. This is why in many instances you find men in those go- in government seats or in that state having conversations conversations about women's bodies, mm-hmm. which simply means that a state isn't a safe haven for a lot Thank of you. individuals that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Even in instances where you say that a state should ban, we think that you are less likely going to get the kind of recourse that you were talking about in today's debate, mm-hmm. especially when traditional leaders can just decide to retaliate and can just decide to say that this is no and this isn't something that we are willing to accept. The second thing also that you need to understand, the reason why a state is very secular is because they don't want to take a stance in trying mm-hmm. to regulate and saying that... One minute. Up. Which um which traditional practice is harmful or which one is not. This is something that's very subjective and something that differs from one tradition to oh. another. And that's why oftentimes state isn't necessarily willing to take a stance and saying that we should ban this or we should regulate okay. this or we should not necessarily regulate that. The third thing also, this is where Bella lies and says that like regulations already exist where you have doctors in initiation school. Mm-hmm. You need to understand that like in a in Kosa people like oh, like for example in Sutu, Sutu people when we go to initiation school those regulations mm-hmm. don't necessarily exist which simply means that we haven't necessarily explored the other alternative. Okay. So we think even in instances where she speaks about how like culture is not as stagnant, we still think that a lot of people still opt into culture, a lot of people still buy into culture. Even in instances where this is something that, that gradually changes, we think we'd rather wait for that gradual change to happen as opposed to like instantly mm. saying that we're trying to ban or we're trying to regulate the culture mm. that they're talking about, especially when she fails to tell you how we're going to get the sort of recourse that she's talking about at a mm. point at which we ban or we regulate this. Especially when Fumo speaks about how regulation comes with conditions. It doesn't even like try to paint a picture of what this regulation looks like and how we're likely going to get the sort of outcomes that they are talking about in mm. today's debate. So ultimately, we don't think that Bella does enough in trying mm. to show us the framework of what this regulation looks like and what we ought to be doing. So my argument here is based on the idea of why is it important for us not to ban this. Mm. We think this is a form of expression which gives people a sense of like identity or sense of belonging. So this is why it's always important 
for individuals to 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 preserve their culture. We think even mm. with rights, they are very social constructions and something that we can holistically depend on. Yeah, which yeah. means oftentimes those rights that are created don't necessarily protect the LGBTI community that you were talking about, or women to be specific, especially when men still have the upper hand and can make decisions for these kinds okay. of things. Secondly, we say like the lottery of birth, the fact that you don't choose where you want to be born mm. in. It means that like when you decide to opt out of that religion, mm. you are disowned, you are ostracized. So oftentimes individuals are forced to opt into that even when they one didn't actually left. opt into those particular religions. So we think in instances where like one estate isn't mm. a safe haven for these individuals, but secondly in instances where individual is likely going to suffer dire conditions at a point at which they opt out, we mm. think that states should not intervene, states should not ban or regulate these things. Mm. We think thirdly and the most important thing also that you need to talk about. We don't explore the idea of the influence that traditional leaders have towards the individuals. So it means even in instances where state can try to protect people, at a point at which Dalin Jebel can just say that <laughs> you don't accept this, people mm. are more inclined to accept what mm. Dalin Jebel is saying as opposed to like the state, which means a lot of a majority of individuals opt into, into culture and it, 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 it means that even when you can say that state should intervene, we don't think that this, this intervention is likely going to get the sort of outcomes that we're talking about in today's debate. So ultimately, mm. what are we saying here? We're saying regulation is, isn't something that we're willing to accept or banning isn't something that we're willing to accept, especially when you're completely going to raise... Atlehang, like, your time is up, unfortunately. But I hope that uh, there wa- that was enough for Nulitando to rebut in her closing case for opposition here, here. Okay. So a couple of things that Atlehang says that are very important. The first one is that you don't have an opt-in mechanism, opt-out mechanism for people in order for them to get out of spaces that are cultural, especially in instances where there's no support that exists for them outside of just what exists in those communities. This is very important because it shows why their case specifically doesn't necessarily assist in being able to aid those individuals in, sh- in cr- ensuring that they have some mechanism to protect themselves when they don't want to opt into the spaces of um, culture that they find themselves within. But beyond that, it shows why there's a coercive nature in culture that exists because of the way in which it plays itself out in just general. One, because the way in which it plays itself out is that it's been an occurring and recurring thing for a very long time. It's become the standard norm in specific spaces and as a result, an individual who opts out of that is one that is going to be ostracized. Mm -hmm. We think the government and states specifically are the best actors to ensure some level of protection here because they don't harbor the exact same kind of like understanding or they don't necessarily harbor protections for those specific kinds of understanding. As a result of this, we think because they have that ability to be able to ensure that they have that protection for those individuals, it's the best way to ensure that people can opt out of these kinds of spaces. Mm. The second thing she speaks about is how, to some extent, there's a level of subjectivity that comes to what kinds of harms exist as a result of those types of... I'll take you in a second. As a result of those... um, spaces existing and as a result of cultures existing in the way that they do. The thing with this is we've already accepted that there's a harm that exists. The way in which we then move forward from that is to determine which, what is the best way to ensure that we have the least sort of harm that exists there. And we think the best way to do this is through state intervention. Short now. We don't think that state is a safe heaven and we've been saying by giving you multiple accounts as to when a state is likely going to like allow Dalin Jebel to have their Sure, we don't necessarily see why these cultural spaces are a safe haven either and at the point where they become an even worse off harm, we don't see why we ought to maintain them as an existing thing. There's an urgency to act here quite simply because the kind of harm that exists is one that places people in in a space where they can't necessarily opt out but secondly, where they can't necessarily have any other kind of 
form of protection for themselves. We think at the point where the state has to intervene through ensuring that protection, where there's an urgency that the state has shown to act because of the way in which these controversies, but beyond that, the kind of harms that exist happen or accrue specifically to vulnerable individuals. It places us in a position where the state mm-hmm. has to exercise the right Tando. to act, but beyond that, where the state has to have an, a right to act to begin with. Sure, I'm um, I think then it's a zero-sum game, so there's no point to this debate because your burden is to show us what is the benefit of banning and regulation because the very same people, yes, you institute that state intervention, but they still exist in the community. So backdoor initiation schools. It can't be a zero-sum game when I'm formal because one, at the point where you have some level of benefit for individuals who don't want to be in that space, obviously there's a benefit that exists there because the only way it becomes a zero-sum um thing is when there's no benefit at all. We think there's a far less benefit in accepting um, cultures as they are, in accepting those cultural spaces as being mm-hmm. um, as reclusive and secluded as they are, or beyond that, not being able to create some sort of led, um, regulatory measure that's going to allow for them to be able to either transform or even allow individuals to exist outside of that space without being ostracized, without being placed in positions of harm, without necessarily having to opt out of their existence and identity as individuals because they don't want to opt into a specific pact practice or a specific cultural idea that doesn't necessarily speak unto them. The best way to ensure that individuals have won the best form of um, actualization, but beyond that, have the best form of protection is when the state allows them to have the options to opt out of spaces that become harmful to them. And that is the way in which a state ought to function. Mm. Thank you so much for both cases. A very interesting debate. Tata, I'm going to bring you in first. To kind of talk about this, uh, two things firstly, there's this clash of who's the best sort of actor to ensure that culture changes over time and that cultural practices develop to remove discriminatory practices. Now, we'll have a debate about if that's even possible, but, you know, just from the onset, who do you think is the best actor to ensure that kind of evolution? But secondly, what do you think the real issue is when it comes to this debate? Because to me, it's sounding like a, a hegemony issue, you know. What is it about human rights that is so incompatible with cultural practices? But why do we have to even, you know, uh, thread this thin line to try and be sensitive to people's different views? Who's hegemonic and why is hegemony so central in this debate? Cool. Um, I'll start with the first one, which I'm struggling to remember. But um, I think that, like, um, to talk about sort of state, right, I think the the inherent assumption that happened in the debate, which I think was great, but the inherent assumption was that the state is the modern state, right? And, and what, what is a, what becomes different, right? Is that traditionalists think that the chief is the state, right? So this is a battle between two states in the theoretical sense, right? That like these people think that this is their state. When these people, when, when you talk about state intervention to traditionalists, you're talking about a different state intervening in their state. Mm -hmm. And that's why it becomes a, a kind of sovereignty issue, right? And that's why the assumption that the state as sort of the modern state that we're talking about with with a parliament and whatever is the thing that should intervene is to sort of, I think, play into that hegemony debate. Who has won? Who hasn't won? And that's why I think that, like, when we're discussing um, sort of harms, right, um, we can't separate the the modern state from colonialism, right, mm. A- and things like that because the modern state does come through, through that, right? Um, but... On, on human, why is it the case that human yeah. rights sort of, um, don't seem to work well with sort of pre-modern or traditional states, right? And out, even outside of, Af- outside of Africa, you know, the right, it, right wing in America makes similar arguments. It's, it's precisely because 
I think the difference is that it's it's centered around God and the idea that you can't sort of, um, yeah, God is there and will be there forever. And what he says is, is, you know, yeah. And so it can't be sort of, um, Mm. disputed. And so when you draw all your assessment of society, all your building of society from divinity, right? Everything that happens is divine and like all divine things, only God can change them. Mm. And so that's why it seems incompatible. That's why there's a sort of resistance. Mm. And I mean, very interesting, but you know, as I was, as I was listening to this debate, I was just trying to think of um, examples of cultural practice. And this is where I want to bring in the debaters as well to just, you know, um, uh, Tell us about some of their own personal experiences or things that they've seen and heard um, of cultural practices that have evolved over time, um, you know, and and those that have been developed to kind of remove discriminatory elements. So I'm not sure if anyone can think of any. I mean, I, I can already, you know, for more in this debate mentioned bringing in health practitioners to some of our training. But are there any others that uh, anyone can think of on the panel? I mean, there probably have been a few slight changes to some Mm -hmm. things. For example, I know there are some Kosa tribes that have changed a lot of things when it comes to the custom of Oktwala, where there's been some consultative mechanisms when it comes to the bride and whether or not they accept specific um, parts of what the custom um, speaks unto. Mm. So those kinds of changes, very slight changes, have been able to make some sort of difference. Mm. I think mm. the most obvious practice that no one really noticed has evolved quite a lot is um, Lobola mm. has yeah. changed quite a lot with inclusion of female families financing for a large charge, the process and the practices as a whole. And that conversation has sparked quite a lot in terms of um, gender balances, in terms of finances, who really runs households, who contacts contributes to households, how children um, play a role in families and once they leave their families, what kind of financial burden that kind of leaves on families. Mm. Those kind of things in terms of like society developing, um, genders changing and finances changing in terms of the family structures has altered a very Quite everyone still practices lobola and it's a common mm. practice. I don't think a lot of um uh, I think a lot of um young couples still do it and uh, by choice, not even by force, still choose to do it. And it has changed quite a lot because of what society looks like right now. But I think we can all agree, even from just struggling to think of examples, that the change is not happening fast enough. Yep. In which case, why would you defend status quo proposition? Um, I think we also need to be slightly careful with. Wanting change because mm. I think maybe we should maybe perhaps want improvement or inclusion. So okay. Lobola inclusion uh, or, or vast inclusion of um, 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 female bodies into the negotiation mm. table, initiation school, um, the inclusion of doctors and uh. Uh, uh, maybe health professionals. Because when we when we want change, we 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 perhaps think that what the practice is wrong, hmm. you know, type of thing. So uh, I think, yeah, in terms of that uh, identity. So I think also the, 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 they're also organically uh, including individuals or people who were previously discriminated or pre- previously marginalized in those contexts. Also, in it also comes with the times and, and mm. the era that we're in, you know, mm. um, like we, we're in more of like a, I don't even want to say woke, but like woke generation, mm. you know. Um, I, I can't think of an English word, that, mm. but like, you know what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, yeah, but like, yeah, we're in a woke generation or maybe a, a socially aware mm. uh, at time where we're like, this is wrong to not do this, you know. Because in as much as a, a, say, a gay boy who 
who is, is in rural mm-hmm. um, uh, townships or areas still would, would want to go through the process of initiation. Mm-hmm. It's just that there are harmful effects that or, or harmful things that happened to him. But for him, it could also be my identity is I am a Tosa or a Tsonga man, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. want to be initiated into a man because there are some derivables that mm-hmm. I gain from it, you know? That gives us two interesting questions. One that I think you need to respond to, but one that I think opposition is to respond to. The first being that, you know, this idea that some uh, cultural practices are not wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, what's to say they are not wrong when they're used to justify forced marriages, child marriages, marital rape, mm-hmm. honor crimes, virginity testing? Mm-hmm. What's not, everything is wrong about that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I think, wh- what's, why, why shouldn't we say they can be wrong? Um, I mean, so f- I think first maybe we can look at it from the voluntary um, uh, perspective, okay. you know, to say like, so firstly, and I think Atlang alluded to this also earlier around the lottery of birth. You are born to that family and um, most of the time they force you to do it because that's what they believe in, you know. Uh, but I think uh, some are wrong, say, for example, uh, and it's also it's also a, a very big debate we could have. Mm. Uh, so, for example, Uklola virginity mm. testing. Uh, because there is a woman in society who buys into the idea, you know, who needs to be protected to say that this is my identity and mm. I want to be part of it. I don't think she, she matters more than s- someone who is, um, in a academic space and say this is wrong. Yeah. Because to her, it's not wrong, you know. Yeah. So I think, yeah, we just need to be, uh, careful again, careful that, with, yeah. with that. But I think there are some that could be also violating. So for example, uh, and I think maybe, and we're speaking about this earlier around the, Violation of underage children, you know, mm. still children, you know, uh, and the onus is on the parents to protect the child, mm. you know. But um, at the point at which where they come of age and they're able to maybe make a, a, a certain decisions and choices, we could be assumed that it's the right thing to do for them individually, you know. So it's, I think it's a sure. subjective thing. Mm. Yeah. So, Bella, you know, you spoke about um, redefining ourselves or focusing on the other parts. Of tradition mm. to define ourselves. Um, I mean, there was, you know, a lot of uh, dispute mm. when you made that point about Nguni culture. But I think it's something that's really important that, you know, I'd really like you to elaborate and, but also for mm. us to just have a moment to talk about mm. this idea of why do the things that are harmful have to be part of what defines us? How can we find other parts of our culture that could still speak to the derivables that Mfumo spoke about that could contribute to my maleness or my mm. femaleness or my identity as a leader in society or as a mother or a father? Um, what other ways could we define ourselves? I think the most unfortunate thing about tradition and culture is that a lot of its history was lost because of colonialism. Mm. We have very strong matriarchal societies that were mm. ran by women, traditional pr- practices that honored women and centered vulnerable actors right now in societies who are targeted by tradition, but mm. that wasn't the case um, then. back then. Like mm. women could l- own land, um, could own these kind of roles and has been drowned out and we haven't celebrated that because it's drowned out by all the bad um that I think are caused by patriarchy in society, but also just eluding bad practices as part of culture, right? Mm-hmm. Culture is many things, but practices. It's people, it's conversation, it's, it's history, it's, it's human, it's, it's family. Hard, yeah. It's very much very small values that we don't celebrate because we tend to Focus culture too much on the practice. The uh. practice is the culture and not the people themselves. So we drown out important, beautiful things that are part of our cultures that we need mm. to celebrate mm. with terrible things that should be removed. I think it, things like, um, 
uksala and stuff like that should be removed because I think they move the conversation of what women are in those communities and why they're important. I'm going to ask you a very difficult that. question. How do you think those harmful practices come about in, in cultures that can also be so good and so, um, so in, in, in incredible? How, how can it be that that same culture can also be the one to say we're going to violate rights in this way? I'm going to say something really controversial. Mm-hmm. It's the men. <laughs> but seriously, I think that like allowing men to take over the center of um, culture and be the very say of what culture looks like. I mean, like a lot of the values are drowning out important things. Mm. Things like virginity mm. um, are just male constructs of yeah. what they think a woman should be and they yeah. value should be. And we turn it into a practice and turn it into the main purpose of a culture. And we're losing that kind of stuff. Mm. We're just drowned. It's the men. In, guys, it's no time. You want to say something <laughs> on that point? Yeah, um, I think beyond just it being the men, because I definitely agree with that. I also think that it's largely our colonial history as well, mm-hmm. because a lot of what's happened is that there's a power struggle and a power dynamic there that's placed individuals in a position where a lot of the power that that need to get back some level of power has created very rigid understandings of how things ought to happen Mm. so that the maintenance of that power can stay in specific spaces and can stay with specific individuals Mm -hmm. within certain communities. So a lot of the time, black men were emasculated during um, colonialism, apartheid, and even other kinds of like um, oppression. Mm. So the best way for them to play out their power sometimes tends to be... Mm. to bully and to mm. put themselves in a position where they have some sort of authority on it, on it spaces where there's other vulnerable actors mm. that are no longer themselves. Mm. And this is why there's that um, sort of hierarchy of pain. Um, mm. White man, white woman, black man, black woman being right at the end of mm. that hierarchy of pain. This is very dynamic. And before I, I, I take Atlehan, I, I think just something that, um, you know, also just needs to be analyzed um, you know, this idea that of, of patriarchy being inserted into this debate definitely makes it a sociocultural issue and, and not just a legal issue. But just quickly taking it back to legal, uh, you know, there was this idea in, in, the, in the proposition case of the alienation that some indiv- individuals feel to the state and access to the state. But I think of court cases where, you know, uh, the state has literally helped um, uh, uh, the daughter of a king who had passed on to inherit that kingship um, and was something that was being denied actively by that community. But also in Botswana, you have progressive legal cases where women are being given um, rights to the inheritance of a father where a cultural practice denies them that right. So when we talk about alienation from the state, does it matter given that the state objectively has to follow a set of rules and have to apply them um, regardless of you know whether of, of your proximity to um, to to power in that sense, um, I think we create like a false sense of security when individuals opt out of culture, especially mm. when Bella completely says that we should not like allow we should not talk about people in the rural areas because that's mm. a whole different context in and of itself. I think you are necessarily creating like the false sense of security in a sense that you're saying when you opt out of culture, you're protected by the state. It's okay. Mm. You can necessarily opt out of culture. While we ignore the fact that like sometimes 
in as much as you want to opt out, but it's also about your own security as an individual. Mm. If I opt out of going into initiation school, what as does a, that mean? Yeah, as mm. as, as like a, a suit to woman, what does it mean? It means that like I'm going to be denied access to a lot of things. Mm. It means that now I can't even have conversations where I question a lot of cultural things within my family because it simply means that like ulitisa, so you're not going to have any sort of voice or any sort of conversation and of himself, which means that when you're completely shut shut out of those conversation, you can't necessarily ha- effect any sort of meaningful change within culture in and of itself. But I think also even in instances where a state has intervened and was able to help women to have their voices heard, I think when at a point at which a traditional community or traditional leaders are ratified, it simply means that you're still going to be vilified as that woman. It means that you're still not going to be accepted into that specific community. So I think even in instances where we can try to opt out of culture because of how problematic it is as women or any other individual for minority groups, you cannot necessarily depend on a state to protect you as an individual. So that's my biggest problem. Tato, closing remarks? My closing remarks are, yeah, this has been sort of a very complicated debate. And I think complicated by the fact that like... um, it's difficult to sort of think. I think the alienation debate part is the thing that makes it difficult. It's difficult to see one extricate themselves from the the, the modern state or from traditionalism, partly because they form part of who we are, right? No matter how far you are from the rural areas, right? When you're a Musuto or a Zulu woman, mm. it, it those things carry on with you, right? So the the I think the parting remarks are. I think it, it, it's. Not to be, it's not to be taken for granted what a state means mm. and what it means to be sort of, um, what it means to be an, a, sort of an, a citizen in that state, right? Mm. What it could mean, it could mean that you're a Mosutu woman who has to go mm. through initiation. It could mean that your, your right of passage is age 18, mm. as with the modern state. And those two things are part of who you are, mm. age 18 and initiation. Mm. Hmm. Look, for me, um, there are values or principles that I hold up front in any debate, equality, freedom, tolerance, and the inherent dignity of each individual. And I believe that no custom or tradition or cultural practice or value or religious belief can justify depriving a human being of these rights. Our cultures, I I feel, have problematic elements, but they can transform because I'm sure we can all agree values, whether constitutional or traditional, ought to exist to create benefit for the individual and for the community. And, And so there's a danger in evoking a static or vague concept of tradition because it not only fails to account for the kind of improvement we need to see in society, it also fossilizes us and it fossilizes society. And the risk is that instead of advancing human rights and basic rights and the Human Rights Commission uh, resolution and call for a better understanding of traditional values, we could literally be creating excuses ourselves for ourselves to bury the rights specifically of women and the LGBT community under a huge mound of cultural relativism. And and when we roll back people's rights, then we must sit down and uh, account for where we are as a society and account for the kind of frameworks we're using to navigate the kind of society that we live in. Some things are absolutes, and I think those are equality, freedom, tolerance, and dignity. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Interchange. We hope that you enjoyed it. Do share your thoughts and views. It is the Heritage Day episode, so it, it is the most appropriate time to be talking about these issues. How are you going to extend the conversation in your home, in your community, at work, at school, and wherever else you are as you're listening to this episode? This was another thought-provoking debate made possible by APSA and Simung, amplifying the voices of young people. The Interchange, seeing Africa through a youthful lens.